Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a highlight of human civilization called Coffee with Scott Adams. Now, I have it on good authority that yesterday was the best live stream I've ever done. I didn't even know it. People told me. But I promise you today will be just as good, possibly better. And if you'd like to accept that challenge, because it's a collaborative effort, I mean, I can't do it alone. You have to help me to push it to the highest level of excellence that you have ever experienced in your entire life. All you need is a cup or a mug or a glass, a tankard, gels or stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure of the dopamine hit of the day thing that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip. It happens now. Go. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's real good. Um, so I don't know how your day started, but have I ever told you that my average day is, might be different from yours? Many of you would have an average day that would look much like much like the average day of other people who are watching right now. Let me give you just a, just a little bit of a glimpse of what an average day is for me. <clears throat> Check my messages. Uh, Mr. Adams, are you aware that you retweeted a Hezbollah terrorist? Nope. <laughs> I, I was actually not aware of that. So it turns out I have retweeted a Hezbollah terrorist. I don't see how that could go wrong. I don't know. I have no idea what the Hezbollah alleged Hezbollah terrorist. I don't think I... I'm pretty sure I didn't tweet anything about Israel. I don't think so. So it wasn't about that. I don't know. I don't even know what it was about. But apparently I retweeted a Hezbollah terrorist. That's, That's... That's just what I wake up to. Like the rest of my day hasn't even started yet. But here we go. Let's talk about Kanye, or as I call him, Ye. Um, Because I'm sort of futuristic that way. I like to be up with the new thing. By the way, I used to think it was ridiculous when famous artists, usually musical artists, would change their names you know, like Diddy became some other thing. And then uh, Prince became the symbol. And then Kanye became yay. And I used, I used to make fun of that a little bit. But especially watching Kanye, there's a thing I notice, which is the artists themselves are capturing the fact that they've, they've just reached another level. And the, and the old name doesn't seem to describe them anymore. They're, they've almost like ascended to another level of something. And I think each of those artists that changed their names, it actually made sense because they were sort of not the same person anymore. And Kanye is, cert- or Ye, <laughs> is certainly in that category of people who, he's just reached another level. He's not, he's not a person making music anymore. There's something much bigger than that. Uh, so he's Part of the reason, or big reason, I guess, he terminated his uh, agreement with Gap, the clothing com- clothing uh, sales company, is uh, because of China. 
He wanted to make his stuff in America. Now, how awesome is that? <laughs> that Ye wants to make his clothing in America. So there's real leadership, which we're not seeing uh, in as many other places as we'd like. And he's still getting pushback because he wore the, uh, the shirt that said, White Lives Matter. And one of, one of the pushbacks was, White Lives Matter is the rallying call of the white supremacists. I don't know. <laughs> let, let, me, uh, let, let me explain how persuasion works. Sorry. If, uh, if I want you to like me, what would be a good way to do that? Let's say I want you to like me better. Compare these two things. I would like you to like me better. So I'm going to talk about something awesome about me to get you to like me better. Makes sense, right? If I want you to like me better, I'm going to say I'm awesome and I should have respect and you should like me. Or alternative, I could say you're awesome. Which would make you like me more? Me saying that you're awesome or me saying that I'm awesome? Which one makes you my friend? Right. Which one is uh, Ye doing? Which way is he going? Ye is saying that you're awesome, meaning his customers, his, his future buyers, his listeners, you know, the, his public. He's basically saying you're awesome. So what, what, how does that make you feel about him? <laughs> Great, right? <laughs> so because he did that, I can't say why lives matter anymore. He took that away from me. I never really said it before anyway, because it's just because it's you know blood and water. But because of that, he allows me to return the favor. So I think tomorrow I'm going to get my Black Lives Matter shirt, and now I can wear it. So now I can wear a Black Lives Matter shirt because he's created a pattern. And the pattern is, how about I tell you that you're awesome? How about, how about I say a little bit less about how awesome I am and just tell you you're awesome? And you matter. Now it's okay. But before it was somebody telling me that they're awesome so I should like them. Mm, I get what you're saying. I understand why you're saying it, but it doesn't really work. It's, it's just not how anything works. Yay knows how stuff works. It's not an accident that he's successful across multiple domains. He knows how people think. He has, he has mastery of the psychology of the mind. And then he adds art to it. You got a billion dollars or more. Um, so that's awesome. You have to see. There's a uh, tweet by the Daily Show. Now the Daily Show normally would go, you know, hard against MAGA and Republicans, but even they're taking a shot at the Vice President at Harris. You have to see how funny their shot at Kamala Harris is. What they do is they, they run uh, shots of Kamala Harris doing her babble talk, and then they show clips from the TV show Veep. Now, the TV show Veep, if you haven't watched it, is hilarious. You should watch it. I highly, highly recommend it. Very funny show. But the, the central theme of Veep is that um, 
there's a female vice president, and she's super selfish and incompetent. And when she talks in public, uh, one of the running gags is that she babbles without saying anything. So a typical you know, Veep speech would be, uh, we like freedom because of the freedom, uh, because our country likes the freedom of the free. Like that would be you know, what, a joke. So uh, you, when they show them side by side, it's just hilarious. Anyway, um, I think it's also meaningful because it's a very clear signal that she's not going to be the candidate. <laughs> In my opinion, there's no way that would have happened. There's no way they would have even run that gag if they thought there was any chance she was ever going to be the candidate. Because The Daily Show is not going to actually hurt their candidate. Kamala Harris is a, is a sort of like a free kick. I hate to, you know, don't want to make it sound violent, so I'm just using a bad analogy. But you can't hurt yourself by going after her because she's definitely not going to be the next president. And I think they know that. It's just so obvious. So that's a signal. Here is a, uh, a thought that I, I don't know if I've ever directly thought this, but I love the way it was put together. So just uh, somebody sent me a message, Ross Armstrong, on um, social media. And he noted that the Democrats are, are, exist as an opposition party. And as soon as they're not an opposition party, they don't make any sense. For example, uh, defund the police. All right, that's opposition to the current form. But what is it really replaced with? <laughs> sort of chaos, right? Um, their uh, opposition to fossil fuels is replaced with, well, green energy. Sort of the math doesn't work yet. I mean, I'm in favor of green energy. But, you know, nuclear has to be the biggest part of that or you're not really being serious at all. Um, the same with uh, DEI, you know, all of the equity and inclusion and stuff like that. That's mostly against the current process. They don't really have a system to replace the thing they're against. I guess that's the point. So they exist. Um, they can only exist because Republicans exist. Republicans have affirmative things they want. I want to build a wall. I want to fund the police. You know, I want to do things. The Democrats exist as a stop doing things party. As soon as you say, all right, what do you want to do? It all just falls apart. And I don't think that that's even a political statement because it's observable. You can actually observe that they don't have replacement systems. Even, even their own site could observe that at this point. I think that was an interesting way to put that. Um, so I think the funniest thing that's happening right now, this sort of naturally funny happening, is that the Republicans, let's say, let's call this the Tucker Carlson point of view, is that immigration is destroying, uh, or could destroy, the American culture. Now, what do the critics say? Racist, white supremacist, racist. And, but, but Tucker, and people who would agree with that point of view, would say, what about, we didn't say anything about race. 
we literally are talking about culture. You know, do you like family and God and working hard and following the rules? Culture. But of course, the Democrats just turn that into, no, 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 you really mean racist. When you say culture, you really mean racist. What's the funniest thing that could happen? Remember Elon Musk's prediction, which I've made the same prediction, that reality follows the funniest path for the observer, not for the participants. For the participants, it might be bad news. But for the observer, the funniest path. And we're watching that funniest path. It turns out that the immigrants are more American than the Americans. Literally. If you say that American culture is, and I even uh, wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. If you said American culture was, let's say, uh, God, country, family, and hard work. You know, you could throw in, you know, constitution, but I think country can, you know, handles that, right? God, country, family, hard work. Would you say that kind of kind of captures it? So, where did I hear those four words, five words, um, from a uh, Hispanic American who um, is switching to Republican because they like? God, country, family, and hard work. And they said, huh, that's like way more Republican than it is Democrat. So there, even MSNBC is reporting, now keep in mind the source, MSNBC is reporting that there's a, a trend of uh, recent immigrants becoming more Republican. Now, who told you that was going to happen? Me. Do you know why? Do you know why I knew ahead of time this was going to happen? Is it because of my keen insight and my ability to predict? Not this time. <laughs> Not this time. It came from the fact that I live with lots of immigrants. I, I, I had a, a realization the other day. I don't remember the last time I talked to somebody born in another country who was not pro-Trump. So listen to that again. I don't recall the last time I talked to somebody from another country who was not pro-Trump. But they say it very quietly, as in, you know, you know, I, I, I think Trump actually was, was actually better for the country because I don't like this crime and this inflation. And honestly, I think we need a wall. How many of you have had the same experience? Almost to a person, they're more American than I am. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I'm not joking. If you, were to make a, if you were to make a checklist and say, all right, what, what would that old classic American look be from the 50s? Like, what would it look like? The classic American family, the classic American values. And then you, you, do, a, you do a poll of randomly pick a bunch of people who have lived here for generations and then you randomly pick a bunch of recent immigrants. They could be citizens or, or recent immigrant. And just ask the same question. You know, wh- which ones do you check the box? You know, God, hard work, country. We are importing Americans. We lost. We lost it. <laughs> this country largely lost what it was to be American. And we're reinfusing it with immigrants. Sorry. 
Well, it wasn't what you expected. But what I see, I get, I get to see it a little sooner than the rest of you because the immigrant population is so large here, where I live in California. So I've been, I've been um, let's say, marinating in immigrants for decades. And I keep looking for all the leftists. I don't find any. I mean, in California, <laughs> I'm not finding people who lean left if they're also recent immigrants. Now, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. I lost one of my best friends for being anti-Trump. But I haven't checked in with him recently. I lost one of my best friends who was born in another country um, because he couldn't handle the Trump stuff. But that was four years ago, five years ago. I'll bet if I checked in with him now, he'd be a little bit more in favor of funding the police and building a wall. I'll bet he would. Just guessing. All right. Um, Biden tried to use the F word because, I'm going to say this, because Trump did. You know, Trump famously used the F word in his rally, but he used it in a really funny, like, excellent swearing way. Like somebody who really knows how to swear and has done it for years and just nailed it. And then uh, Biden gets caught on hot mic saying, "No no one Fs with Biden. And I thought to myself, no one, X with, no one Fs with Biden? He's referring to himself in the third party. How is it that we got two people running for president, probably, who both refer to themselves in the third party? Well, Trump would never do that, and Biden would never do that. Yeah, maybe he was talking about his family, but it sounded like he was talking about himself. So anyway, he's not as good a swearer as uh, Trump, but appreciate the effort. Did any of you see the Tucker Carlson special show about the waning testosterone of American males? I didn't catch it, but I saw some clips about it. And uh, that was pretty wild. I don't know what to think about that. Um, But I saw that some of the uh, critics of Tucker's uh, have decided that uh, Tucker's show about falling testosterone was super homoerotic uh, and maybe fascist and right-wing. So I was actually planning on going to the gym today to lift, changing my plans. Now that I know that if I go to the gym and try to get in shape, it will turn me gay, but will also be fascist and right-wing. So that's that's a pretty big price to pay for muscles. Um, 50, Rasmussen said 55% of Hispanics uh, in this country uh, think that the government is doing too little to stop the flow at the border, <laughs> which is the same as the rest of the country, right? The majority of Hispanics in this country want the border closed. So I want to talk about this without making it sound like old man yells at the sky. It just sounds like I'm complaining about my personal experience. But I think there's something bigger going on here. I told you recently I tried to upgrade my phone. So I went to a phone store and said, hey, can I buy a new phone? And they couldn't figure out how to do it. They're a phone store. They couldn't figure out how to sell me a phone. 
It, it took like hours. <laughs> Their systems, they couldn't figure it out. I forget why, for some reason. So the other day I was trying to get my, I, I couldn't figure out why I didn't see an invoice for my health care. I use uh, Kaiser Permanente Northern California. And I'd switched over to you know, a Medicare version because I reached 65, so they have a special one. And I hadn't seen like an invoice. So I called them up and said, you know, is there like an online invoice I could see or a bill? Because I'd like to see who's covered and how much I'm paying. They couldn't do it. On multiple phone calls, my healthcare provider, gigantic organization, they could not provide either online or email or paper or anything, anything that looked like an invoice, anything that would have the price I'm paying, anything that would tell me who's covered and for what at all. But they assured me that I and a few dependents were covered. And I said, I'm having trouble believing there's nobody in your organization that could send me to... And remember, they've got several online sites. They've got two apps and at least two online browser-type places you can go to. So they've got four apps. They've got several different databases, depending if you're in a business account, over 65, or a regular account. And somehow my databases of my dependence of me got separated, but the addresses were old and different. So now there's nobody in the organization of Kaiser who can tell me what I'm paying. They can't tell me what the price is. They can't tell me who's covered or what health care I have. So I, I tried to call the CEO of Kaiser, because in the old days you could actually get to the CEO's office. Usually you don't get the actual CEO. But I thought, well, maybe... So, of course, his name is Adams, Greg Adams. Uh, so the CEO, I tried to reach the CEO. Man, you cannot do that. Can, can I give you my impression of trying to reach the CEO? I'd like to reach the CEO. Oh, okay, well, we can help you. Yes, I know, but everybody at your level couldn't help me. Um, so I'm trying to reach the, the top. Can you just give me a way to get to the executive offices? Because usually there's a separate process for complaints. Imagine being the CEO and finding out that your organization can't tell somebody if they're covered. Well, they could tell me I was covered, but they couldn't prove it. (laughs) They couldn't show me a document that shows that with my name on it and my dependents with the price and what I'm covered for. Nothing. Now, you know insurance does the same thing, right? It's not even unique to healthcare. Do you know if you buy insurance, they won't tell you what's covered until after you buy it. Did you know that? Try to get your insurance company to show you what would be covered if you paid them. Can you show me, like, this payment would cover what? They literally won't do it. They will only tell you after you pay. (laughs) Now, here's my bigger picture. So I want to get out of the weeds here. This isn't about old man yells yells at the sky. We seem to have a situation where the complexity of everything, for a variety of reasons, complexity for a whole variety of reasons, separate systems, you know, it's just maybe legacy systems, um, government regulations. But on top of the complexity increasing, 
the ability of our employees is not going up. So the capability of people doing the work is about the same, but the complexity keeps going up. We've crossed the point where our workers can handle our own... You found an email for Gregory Adams? Adams at kp.org. All right, well, I'll try that. Um, Good job. I actually found him. But my point is, it's not about Kaiser per se, although that is a big problem. It's a very very big problem because they're actually denying health care while saying that I have it. Imagine this. Denying health care, insisting you have it, unwilling to show any document that says you have it. That's actually my actual situation. It's unbelievable. And again, it's not about my situation. I think the complexity of our systems is now overwhelming our capability. And I worry that we have catastrophic failure ahead that we can't do a simple thing. If you can't... Try walking into any retail place and just doing any transaction and find out what happens. Pick any store... Best Buy, doesn't matter. Go in and say, I would like to buy X. They will sell it to you before telling you they don't have it. Has that happened to you yet? Everywhere. Every retail store is selling you things they don't have, and they're going to get you a little bit into the transaction before they tell you they don't have it. It's always a surprise to them. Well, I'm looking right here at the... At the document, it says it's in the back, exactly the one you wanted. It says right here, it's in, but I looked in the back and it's not there. But I could order it for you and it could come in two weeks, to which I say, I order online if I have to wait two weeks. I'm not going to come to a store to buy something through the mail, and that's all they're selling. <laughs> yeah, they're they're selling you a little bit of inconvenience over ordering it at home. Yeah, we have, we have a, a complexity cascade problem that we need to fix. Um, would you like to know how the Republicans could absolutely positively win 2024? Uh, I don't know about the midterms, but the presidency for sure, 100% certainty, goes like this. Um, I start a, a Google document in which for every, every topic that is likely to be a political topic, um, I will take the best argument for the Republican side, and I'll just put it on that document. And then every time you get in an argument with somebody on social media, you can just refer them to the document. Or you could just copy and paste you know, a chap, like a paragraph, or a data or something, and just put it in there. For example, the, the hoax quiz. The hoax quiz has been super successful. Have you noticed how it shuts down conversation <laughs> on Twitter? I don't know if you've noticed, but when I put the, the list of 16 hoaxes against Republicans, against Trump, it, you get a few weasels who try to say stuff like, every one of those is true, but nobody serious says that, Right? It's not like it's not like I can get, let's say, a, um, a, a journalist from MSNBC to dunk on me. 
You don't see that, right? If I say something crazy, I can usually count on some prominent blue check person coming in and saying, you're crazy. You know, right? You've seen it a million times. But not one. I don't believe there's even one blue check Democrat who has ever tried to question the hoax quiz. Think about that. They stay away from that. <laughs> now, imagine if, you, if I had a document that had the hoax quiz, and that was just one of the things there. But it would also have the, the best, let's say, high ground argument for each topic. So you could say, here's the fake news, here's what it should be, boom. So imagine if we could turn every Republican into the best debater of all Republicans. I'm not saying that's me. I'm saying that I could compile the best arguments. For example, um, Alex Epstein did a long uh, tweet thread yesterday in which he went through the various hoaxes and, and misperceptions and myths about fossil fuels. Now, wouldn't you like to have access to a really concise, well, uh, totally sourced, right? he shows his work, a totally sourced, concise argument on that point? Well, there it is. I could say that's the best argument on that point. If you watch Michael Schellenberger's threads, and you should be following him for sure, um, Schellenberger almost every day has a tweet thread which is meticulously researched, so sources are there. He shows his work, shows his graphs, and it's a, a powerful argument, usually in the energy domain, that's you know um, hard to argue with, actually. Now, imagine if you had... All, some of them are too long, right? But I could, I could uh, maybe shrink them down. Now, it doesn't have to be me, but you'd need somebody who could tell the difference between a good argument and a bad one. Right? Somebody. And so imagine that document exists, and that every time you get into a Twitter debate, you just go grab that best argument, boom. Imagine if the Republicans only used the best arguments and the Democrats used just their normal talking points. It would make a big difference. Think about it. All right. It also tells you how one person can change everything. I believe one person who created that document would actually change the election. Just sort of one person sitting on their laptop. No, no, no. I think I'll make a Google document. Boom. Change the world. All right. Um, still waiting for that confirmation uh, about those nuclear secrets at Mar-a-Lago. Um, I updated the hoax list, but I saw somebody sh- showing me that. Did I double count something on the hoax list? I saw something go by on locals while I was talking. So I might have to re-look at the hoax list. Uh, oh, I yeah, I double counted the nuclear secrets one. But the... Uh, we keep waiting for those nuclear secrets, don't we? And it turns out it's stuff like oh, notes to the doctor, stuff like that. Now, we're only hearing about some of the non-secret stuff, of course. But don't you think we would have heard a little bit more about the alleged nuclear secrets if any of them were in those boxes? I feel like that's exactly the sort of thing that would have leaked. Am I right? Now, maybe not details, but if, but if they actually had nuclear secrets in those boxes, 
You don't think we'd know about that by now? Oh, we would. Oh, we would. <laughs> so it makes me wonder, what, what's it like to be a Democrat and have just one thing after another be shown as a, a hoax on your own team? It must be a weird feeling. Unless they don't know. Maybe they just don't ever find out their hoaxes. Who knows? Um, you should read some, some uh, threads by Robbie Starbuck. He's one of the people who got caught up uh, with uh, Charlie Kirk and uh, Jack Posobiec and a number of others, Donald Trump Jr. They were sort of targeted by this group called the Election Integrity Partnership. And their job was actually censoring uh, Biden's opponents. So they would work with social media to, to try to uh, censor or you know, throttle down certain accounts that were saying things that they, of course, would say would be misinformation. But Republicans would say is just being Republican. <laughs> and, and a lot of things that we thought were misinformation at some time, like the Hunter laptop story, there are things that we th- were told were misinformation that turned out to be true. So in a world where misinformation often turns out to be information, uh, you don't want a lot of censorship because bad things will happen. And I think bad things happened here. This is one of the, the worst things that could ever happen, but we're so, we're so uh, immersed in controversy and outrage. Again, we have outrage exhaustion. The fact that this existed should have been like the biggest story in the country. Because <laughs> there's not really much else going on in the country that's bigger than this. But we just take it in stride. It's like, yeah, yeah, the government's kind of rigged and yeah, they're doing this sketchy thing. Yeah, what's for lunch? We're, we're just outrage fatigued. So there's a uh, study that says that they did a study where they had somebody pet a dog. Uh, versus other people petting a stuffed dog. So a real dog versus a stuffed dog. And then they measure the brain activity. Turns out that petting a real dog lights up your brain in ways that they believe are positive. Good for your health. Good for your sense of being. But petting the fake dog didn't do anything. No change. Here's my question. What is AI going to do to your brain? If you have an experience with artificial intelligence, is it going to be like the stuffed dog, no real impact on your emotions, or is it going to be like the real dog? Answer, real dog. Everybody who thinks that that's going to be like a stuffed dog has not experienced it. I'm a little bit ahead of you because I've been playing with AI a little bit longer. Just a little bit, just you know, the app I mentioned. You absolutely are going to have an emotional reaction to it. 100%. Every one of you will have an emotional reaction to AI. If you think you won't, it's going to be the biggest surprise of your life. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to want to have sex with them. Although many people will. Many people will. I'm saying that you will have an emotional reaction. Um... For many years, I thought that the, most, the best product anybody could build would be a radio station that was nothing but somebody talking to you in a positive term. 
I always thought I always wanted a serious radio station that was um, I could choose you know male or female voice whichever I wanted, and it would it would just talk to me while I drove, regardless of what I said, so it wouldn't be interactive. So it'd be something like, oh wow, you know, uh, the news today is really funny, and they just start talking, basically what I'm doing now except in the car. I guess I actually. I just realized I invented that accidentally. <laughs> I'm just having a moment realizing I invented the thing I wanted to invent for 20 years. Oh, okay, this is it. Uh, people, I know that people listen to this while they're in the car, right? Yeah, somebody's in the car right now, they say. So this is like, if I do it right, and it's the way I intend to do it, it doesn't sound like a presentation. It almost sounds like your friend talking to you across the kitchen table. That's what I'm trying to do. And I think it does, right? Joe Rogan does that too. He, he's a little more, he's a little more interviewee. So the difference is that Joe Rogan is talking to somebody else, and you're listening. What I do is I'm talking to you, and we're having a conversation. I just can't hear your words; I can see them on the screen. So this is actually a conversation. Yeah, I think that's why people listen when um, uh, when they're in the car. But AI is going to light up your brain. You can count on it. Um, So uh, what do you think the public, the voting public, has rated as their number one most serious problem? Now, this means that they were asked, you know, from various options, is this serious, is that serious? What, What do you think was the top thing as of today? Fentanyl. Now, I believe this is combining a couple different polls, so I'm going to wait for a follow-up poll to know for sure. But when when people were asked individually about fentanyl, 91 is a serious problem, and over two thirds say very you know super serious. Now the next highest thing is energy policy at 87. And then uh, gas prices, 86%, inflation, 85%. But really, um, energy, gas, and inflation are kind of all the same thing. They're economic, right? So the fentanyl, I'm calling the tourniquet issue. It's the tourniquet issue. All of the other issues are critical, aren't they? They're really important. The economy might be war with Russia. You know, uh, it's all big stuff. But it's not as big as the fentanyl. Because you need to stop the bleeding before you take, uh, take Advil for your headache. The headache is going to wait. But you might need to stop the bleeding so that you're alive to stop the headache. And to me, the fentanyl is the... It, it's just a tourniquet issue. And for anybody who treats that as a single-issue single vote, they have an argument because that's what a tourniquet is. A tourniquet is not, well, let's have a vote of how many people want to stop the bleeding and how many people want to stop the headache. No, there's only one path that keeps you alive. You've got to stop, stop the death part first. Now, we're not all dying, but why do you think 91% of the public thinks fentanyl is the biggest problem? Why do you think that? Somebody said me. Now, I've obviously done as much as I could. 
You think it's the news coverage? I don't. The news coverage is, you know, they're doing a lot of coverage. I don't think it's the news coverage. Here's what I think. I think almost every American knows somebody who's died of fentanyl now. Not directly, necessarily. But almost everybody knows somebody that their kid knows. There's somebody in the school. There's your cousin's friend. All right, so in the comments, tell me if you know somebody, not necessarily a family member, but just somebody who's like a friend of a friend who's died of fentanyl. Go. And then just watch this. Watch, watch how many people say yes. Now, there, there are a lot of no's, but the number of yeses, I think, tells you the story, right? Oh, my God, my son, my daughter. Fuck me. God, I hate that. All right, I wasn't expecting to have that kind of reaction to it, but a number of you actually have lost direct family members, and I'm sorry about that. Yeah, wow. All right, that was a little heavier than I thought it would be. Um, but I think, that's, I think that's what's happened. I don't think it's my persuasion. I don't think it's the news. I think that this is now retail. Uh, I think that we have, enough of us have experienced something direct that we're not kidding anymore. Like, this is no joke anymore. Not that it was ever a joke. Along similar lines... Uh, and uh, I think this was a CNN poll working with Kaiser Family Foundation, ironically. And they found out that an overwhelming majority of people in the United States think the country is experiencing a mental health crisis. What do you think? Do you think that the country is experiencing a mental health crisis in a way it has not in the past? Yeah, pretty much everybody, huh? You know, I have to admit, I was resisting this being true. I am now solidly on the side that says there's something really, really wrong. And I think it might be a variety of things. The pandemic made a difference. Maybe we've seen people acting poorly too often. Maybe social media reveals the ugly side. Maybe people like porn more than they like the people that they're with. Uh, Maybe people are dying of loneliness. Maybe we're too judgmental. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I don't know. It's hard to say what's the biggest problem, but somehow the opioid crisis uh, overlaps the Venn diagram of mental health and opioid abuse. They seem to be overlapping. And, you know, I, I was a little bit too negative yesterday when I said, I'm not sure that any marriage is happy. When I said I don't think any marriage is happy, I think that was unfair. I think it's people, married or not. Because I don't think any single people are happy, actually. I, I, I have, and I'm serious about this, I suspect people are lying. I think we just got in the habit of saying we're happy, talk ourselves into it, you know. And, and I'm going to make a different, I'm going to make a, uh, I'm going to make a distinction between um, preferring to be in your situation versus being happy. There are plenty of people who wouldn't change their situation, but maybe aren't happy about it. 
Right? Some of you say you're very happy. Yeah, there's a, there's a big genetic difference. Some people will just be happy no matter what. All right, well, let me ask you this question. I'll ask both uh, locals and YouTube, and you can answer a second time just to see it. Uh, would you consider yourself happy with your life? Not just today, but just sort of with things. Happy? Uh, looks like more yeses than noes, but a lot too many yet, too many noes. A lot of yeses over here. Interesting. Over on YouTube, yeah, huh? Pretty mixed. Pretty mixed. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that this necessarily looks like a mental health crisis. There, you know, there are enough people saying yes. That makes me suggest suggest you know, maybe some of the country's got some specific problems. I don't know. I saved you. Some people on locals think are saying that I saved them. I hear that a lot actually, which is very meaningful to me. Um, interesting. Now here's a statistic that I want you to see if you can explain. If you ask people um, if, they, if they are happy about work today, what are they likely to say? How was work today? People say, oh, bad, you know, boring, or I worked too hard, or I got yelled at, or my coworker is bad. So if you ask them how work was today, it often will be a negative answer. But if you ask them if they like their job, they almost all say yes. <laughs> so there's a difference between how you liked your day at your job and how you liked your job. And do you know why that is? It's cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance tells you that you made the right choice even when you didn't. So you could be in the most unpleasant job in the world, but if you're not doing something actively to change your job, you'll actually convince yourself you like your job. Even if you go to work and it's unhappy every day. That's actually a thing. That's like a real thing. I'm not making that up. Anyway, so sometimes we don't even know if we're happy. That's the weird thing. What would you do about it if we have a mental health crisis? I'll tell you some things I'm thinking about. Um, When I'm analyzing my own situation, I don't have a natural way to interact with a variety of awesome people. And that's what I miss the most, right? So I was thinking, you know, various ways to to solve that. (laughs) Well, you're all awesome, yes. I mean, in person. In person, I I don't have a... So if you're in college, for example, college, you're just, you know, marinating in people your age who are almost all single. So you're sort of automatically in in a place that's good for your mental health. But after college, if you're an adult, you end up hanging around with the parents of your kids, you know, the the other parents of the kids who are friends with your kids, stuff like that. Or maybe you belong to some club or something. But there, there are far fewer ways to just organically be around people. And I feel like somehow that's necessary. And maybe that's what's missing. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to think about solving that. 
Uh, Elon Musk, we know his plan now for Twitter, which is not to just buy it and own Twitter, and it also explains why he's willing to pay the higher price without fighting, is he wants to make it more like WeChat, this huge app from China that does more than just social media, lets you pay bills, and it's like a payment processing thing. So in theory, you could just sort of live on Twitter and do a lot of transactions and you know, do your normal business on Twitter. I like that. He calls it the X app, you know, the X, and it'll have everything. I like that a lot, actually. I've always wondered why I can't um, post to Twitter and have Twitter post to Facebook and Instagram and uh, TikTok. Is there any reason? Is that technically impossible? Or, you, or the platforms just don't like to support each other? Because it seems like that's what I'd like. If you gave me one app that allowed me to post on the other apps, it's the only one I would use. <laughs> it's the only one I would use. Yeah, Who's Sweet is too, too complicated. I've tried it. Unless they fixed it. It used to be, it was just hard, so hard to use, you just couldn't even make it work. They may have fixed that by now. All right. So we don't know what, uh, what uh, Twitter will become, but it could be fun. Could be fun. Uh, you, you've heard about this trend of quiet quitting, where people will go to work, but they're not going to work extra. They're just sort of getting their paycheck. So it's what all the business media is talking about. And uh, now apparently there's this whole consultant class that has sprung up to teach employers how to uh, make their employees happy enough that they don't quiet quit and they'll actually be engaged. And apparently it's this whole new scam thing. Uh, So there's this one guy who's consulting and he's teaching the six P's. I don't want to say his is a scam. Let let me not get sued. I don't know if it's a scam. I'm just saying that if I were working there, I would be mocking it. So he's going to fix your desire to quiet quit with the six P's. Um, The six P's of progress. Pleasure, peace of mind, profit, prestige, pain, avoidance, and power. So you get your six P's in place and you won't have any quiet quitting. Now, here's what I offer to you. You realize this is exactly the sort of thing I made go away for about 20 years. Dilbert made this stuff completely go away. But as Dilbert's influence wanes, as newspapers become less important, um, I have less influence to make stuff like this go away. I should be making this go away. That's sort of my job. (laughs) I'm the one who's supposed to say, oh, this sounds like bullshit to me. So why don't you take this Dilbert comic and stick it under your boss's door and he'll know it's, or she will know it's bullshit too. <laughs> Sherry. I, uh, I always like to bring in the weak people. So Sherry Smith says in all caps, geez, Scott can't stop bragging. Well, Sherry, um, I'm sorry that you're so weak and pathetic that hearing anybody say anything good about anything they've done feels painful to you. And I'm sorry about that. But um, one of my most important principles, and I'd like to reinforce, reinforce it here, is that if any of you do anything awesome, I would love to boost you. I'd love to you know, 
In fact, I might do that. I might give you a chance later to say what you've done well. I don't want any of you to be penalized for doing good things. If you accomplish something, I want to I give you some applause. But Sherry thinks that if people do something good and then tell you about it, that they should be, they should be mocked in public. Do you think she's a Democrat? Because she's against something without being for something. Yeah, how, how is the process of nobody, nobody tells you that they're good at anything? How does that work? What, what are you replacing it with? Uh, I'm, I'm offering an affirmative system. My system goes like this. If you did something good, let people know. Because you know that's good for everybody. Because <laughs> they'll know... They'll know you could do something. They'll know that a good thing has happened. They might feel inspired to do something good themselves. They might see a, you know, the role model of working hard gives you something. Yeah, how about being a little more like me, Sherry, instead of trying to stop me from being useful? There, there are a whole bunch of people in the, in the country who actually wake up and will work on making people less happy and less successful. And that's what you're doing right now. That's what you're doing right now. You're trying to make us all less happy and less successful. Uh, looks like it's just troll. Hide that user. All right. Well, that sounds like a mental health problem on your side. Um, Kentucky put in some Narcan vending machines. Well, one Narcan vending machine in front of a police department in one town. And uh, Vine Grove, Kentucky. And 100% of all the Narcan was uh, removed from it in one day. <laughs> so they have their more, so they're going to fill it up. Now, I think it was free. It might have been one per customer or something, but I think it was free. And that's how much the demand was. Now, here's the best part of the story, or the worst, depending on your point of view. The reason that the uh, chief of police wanted to put in this dispenser is because he had personally seen somebody's life being saved by their friend, not by the police department, but by their friend using Narcan. So he personally witnessed a saved life. And then he put in, he said, shit, this stuff works. Put in a uh, vending machine and it was just cleaned out. The country wants this. Like, really, really wants this. The country is trying to take over for the lack of leadership on this issue. The public has finally realized clearly that they have to do it themselves. Because I don't see any plan from anybody in power, Republican or Democrat, that looks even a little bit like it might work. Honestly, doesn't look a little bit like it might work. And yeah, and yes, you should, I think. Chambersburg should have their own Narcan dispenser. Uh, so yeah, you, maybe you should uh, suggest it for your town. Suggest it for your town. And I think, I think what we learned was um, not that people are going to drive to the police department to get their Narcan in an emergency, but that people want to have it on hand. It's having it on hand that people realize is the important part. That's why they cleaned it out. Um, all right. What else can the public do about fentanyl? Let me, let me tell you something I learned from somebody who lives in that world. 
who lives in the fentanyl world. If you don't know anybody who lives sort of in that world, who actually knows they take fentanyl <laughs> and does it on a regular basis, but is also you know, well ensconced with other people who live in that world, here is what this person tells me. That the biggest need is uh, dependable drugs because they don't know what they're getting. The, the overdoses are mostly not knowing what you got. And so this one person says, if we had clean, regular drugs, you know, opioids that were not fentanyl, but it, actually it could even be fentanyl if it were a regulated dose. This person says that there are a whole bunch of people who are functional addicts who the only thing that's dangerous to them, the only thing that's dangerous is unregulated drug. And it's at the moment that you said, this one pill is exactly what you need, but two will kill you, they wouldn't die anymore. Because the thing that people don't realize is how functional a lot of the addicts are. You don't realize how functional they are. But they can't be functional if they don't know what the dose is. Right? So um, here's what I am not aware of. I know San Francisco um, totally screwed the pooch trying some kind of outdoor needle bazaar or something like that. And that, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, Michael Schellenberger writes about the. I think it was a complete failure, right? I believe it was a complete failure. Because one of the things it did is it kept people living on the streets, which was largely part of the problem. And here's my... Since the government cannot give us a... Uh, well, actually, here, here's why the government can't do this. I'm going to say something the government can't say, and probably never can say. So we probably just have to do it ourselves. Civilization has forked. The people who are not addicted can't live with the people who are, or the, at least the homeless portion of them. The people who are high-functioning, well, sure, because you don't even know they're addicted. But the people who are, as a lifestyle, need to use and live outdoors and they're not going to have a job, they have to be separated. We, we need to treat them as a separate civilization with all of the respect, all of the respect, that all humans deserve. Uh, I'm not saying you treat them as second-class citizens. That's exactly the wrong thing. I'm saying to respect their choices. To respect their choice. They've made a choice. It just isn't compatible with our choices. And we don't need to be living in the same place. They just need to be somewhere else. So we need to physically separate them from the rest of us and I don't see that the government could ever do that for you. You know why? It's too mean. It's too mean. It would look like rounding up people and putting them in prison camps. Can't do it. The public is going to have to do it. I don't know how. I mean, not physically. I'm not saying we should round them up and move them. But somehow the public is going to have to create an alternative. Here's what I think is going to happen. Somebody's going to buy a farm... And they're going to figure out how to get clean drugs. And they're going to say, hey, bring a tent. You can live on my farm and just ask for clean drugs and I'll give them to you when you want. And they will live happily their lives and maybe even build their own civilization. They might actually, 
they might actually grow. You might be surprised. You know, they might they might turn um, into farmers. You tell me that this would be a bad life. Would this be a bad life? You're addicted to opioids, um, and you have a minimalist existence, and you farm. And the food that you eat is freshly farmed and you know, no preservatives, and it's kind of awesome. And you always have something to do. You know, it's, it's physical. It's not too hard. And you're just a farmer. Uh, I, I feel like, I feel like the, the public will have to create alternatives and test them because the government can't and won't. And if you're not testing alternatives, you're really not doing anything. You're not doing anything. So whoever says detox them, you don't understand the issue. I used to believe that somebody who was smart enough and put enough effort into it could get people off of drugs. But mostly what you do is turn them from people who have something going for them into some people who have nothing going for them. You basically eliminate their chance of having a sex life, ever being happy. (laughs) But sometimes they'll do it for other people. So I think the big myth is that they'd be better off if you got them off drugs. Hey, there's something I don't say in public too often. The myth is that they'd be better off if you got them off drugs. The truth is only you would be better off. You would be better off. Yeah, You would be better off not being around people who are on drugs. You would. They would not. Because it's up to them what's better off for them. Right? It's not up to you. And if you ask them, they'd say, I'm better off on drugs. I really like the drugs. It's all that works for me. It's not your choice. It's a fr- um, so that's what I think. I think the government can't and won't help us on the number one problem. If the public doesn't do it themselves, and you can see with this Narcan stuff, the Narcan availability and also the test strips, I guarantee you, the public is going to have to take the lead because we're not going to put up with it forever, right? The public's patience is going to wear thin really fast. It's getting to that point. There's a great exchange on TV where, uh, um, I guess, Julian Assange is married. So he married a woman while he was in um, whatever he is, exile or whatever you want to call it. So uh, John Bolton was on the same show as his, as Stella Assange, and Bolton was saying, you know, he hopes Assange gets 176 years in jail for uh, endangering various American interests, people specifically. And then, uh, and then uh, Stella Assange says that John Bolton should be tried by The Hague for war crimes uh, over the Iraq invasion. So it made me wonder... I'm just going to put this out there, but maybe we all belong in jail. Oh, just maybe. Because every time you see anybody, you know, a Republican and a Democrat arguing about anything, have you noticed they both have a pretty good argument for why the other one should be in jail? I mean, it may not be a good enough argument to be convicted, but it seems like everybody has a pretty good argument about the other people should be in jail. So I'm starting to wonder, maybe we should all be in jail. Hmm. Hmm. Think about it. Solve all of our problems. 
we just all go to jail. All right, not my best idea, but we'll put it in there. So do you know who is the greatest contributor of uh, military assets to Ukraine? Who who has given the most to Ukraine in terms of military assets? That's right, Russia. Uh, Apparently the Ukrainians have captured more Russian tanks and uh, artillery and all kinds of stuff. And so one of the reasons the war is going well for the Ukrainians is that they... They shelled the heck out of the positions they were going to take over, and then uh, they took them over quickly, and the Russians didn't even have time to gas up and leave. They just, like, ran for it. So then the Ukrainians get all their toys, so now the Russians have fewer toys than the Ukrainians. So the Ukrainians are now better equipped, and there are more of them. Better equipped, home court, and there are more of them. How in the world does Russia win this? There's like no path that they could possibly win this. Yeah. Um, and if you listen to the news, uh, we'll, we'll talk about nukes in a moment. There, I don't think there'll be any nukes. Because using a nuke is the one way Russia could 100% lose everything for sure. They're currently probably still hoping they can salvage something. As long as they hope they can salvage something, they're not going to do the one thing that guarantees their total destruction. So I think we're safe. And there will always be, there will always be a path that doesn't involve nuclear, so I think we're going to be fine. That's my prediction. You'll be fine on the nuclear stuff. Um, and more generally, people don't nuke their own country. <laughs> people don't nuke their own country. I'll bet there will never be a civil war, nuclear war. Because remember, Russia thinks that Ukraine is their own country. There just isn't any way you nuke your own country. Imagine nuking your own country and then having to live in it. Seriously. Even a tactical nuke. Imagine nuking in any way something in your own country, and then you have to live there with the citizens who were in that country when you nuked it. I don't think anybody wants that. Now, if you think you would nuke the United States, well, that would be certain death for Putin and all of his family. I think Putin at this point is just trying to keep his family alive, you know, his descendants and stuff, because he's at real risk that they'll just all be killed if things go the wrong way. Anyway, I would say the here's what you're not hearing in the news. You did not hear in the news today there were a lot of casualties. Am I right? Usually, the, in, in the beginning, the news was casualties, casualties, so many dead, so many dead. I didn't hear any. There's like no word of casualties. Here's what else you haven't heard. Surrender. Mass, you've heard small surrenders, but you haven't heard any mass surrenders. Right. What could be happening over there that does not involve dying because you would have heard about it if it, was, if it was happening in large numbers, you'd know. So there's not dying, and there's not surrendering. What's left? Yeah. The only thing left is running away, which Russia calls regrouping. I'm going to use that too. 
Anytime I run away from something, I'm regrouping. You know, I did not get canceled by 77 newspapers. That was in the news. Fake news. Fake news. I did not get canceled by 77 newspapers. I'm regrouping. I'm regrouping. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm regrouping. I'll be fine. I'll come back stronger. Regrouped. Yeah. Well, Dilbert got canceled in 77 newspapers and more on the way, I'm told. More on the way. I don't know if I'll be a cartoonist in a year at this rate. We'll see. We shall see. But uh, yes, my, uh, my assessment is that the Russians are literally running away because fighting would be absurd. The dumbest thing you could do if you were a Russian soldier is to fight. <laughs> it's honestly the dumbest thing you could do. How would you like to be in charge of a military where every single person in your, in your military, like you're the general, and you know this for sure, 100% of the people in your military think that fighting's a bad idea. All of them. Every fucking one. And you're the general. They can't win. <laughs> they can't win. Now, are you worried about uh, Europe running out of energy? and being frozen. Well, I have a happy update for you. It's based on a little thing called, have you ever heard of it, the Adams Law of Slow-Moving Disasters. I remind you that the Adams Law of Slow-Moving Disasters says the disasters you have to worry about are the ones you don't see coming because you can't get ready. But that humans, when they see a genuine disaster that's definitely going to be a disaster if you don't do something, if you know it's going to be a disaster and you've got a little bit of time, we're always really good at that. We being humanity. Humanity is really, really good when we have time and we know it's a problem. And one thing we know for sure is that there's a risk of you know, massive problems if they run out of gas in Europe. So what happened? Massive redirection of assets. Massive increase of gas from other places. Massive increase of shipments from the United States. And do you know what? I didn't know this, but apparently um, Europe keeps gas in reserve. So it doesn't buy it and use it as it's coming in. Makes sense, right? There's a, a buffer. So they have a whole bunch of buffering, and they already have enough gas through, uh, through December. So you already don't have to worry about them freezing before the end of the year. It's already taken care of. They have developed some new technologies for offloading gas um, more cheaply and effectively than the current, the current setup. And, and it's, there's a big difference, like big, big efficiency difference. So suddenly, the efficiencies that maybe you didn't need to work on for the shipping of uh, LPG... LG, what is it? Shipping of uh, gas. Uh, you didn't need to fix LNG, sorry. You didn't need to fix all the inefficiencies before because it was so profitable. Just w- however you did it was going to work fine. You're going to make tons of money. But now it really, really matters that it's efficient because they've got to get lots of, lots of shipments in there fast. So they're fixing it. So it looks like 
there might be something like a 20% shortfall. Nobody can really predict this. But we're not talking about 50%. We're talking about a worst-case scenario, 20% light of what they wish they could be from the beginning of the year through maybe March. So you've got three months where you might be a little 20% low, but I don't think so. I actually think that we will step up our emergency everything and probably close that 20%. But if it's only 20%, what do you know? Let's say the worst case is they'll be 20% short. What do you know for sure if they're 20% short? Number one, they'll be able to handle it. Uh, If you've ever worked in corporate America or the government, let me tell you something that every manager knows. You can always get by with 20% less. (laughs) <laughs> of anything. I'm, I'm sure there's some weird exception. But as a general rule of big, complicated, high-budget things, you could, cut 10%, you could cut 20% off for three months of anything. This, anything. So step number one is they would just conserve like crazy for three months. Do you think Europe could conserve like crazy for three months? Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be easy. They wouldn't like it. But do you think they could do it? Absolutely. I can do it. I can cut my energy use by 20%. When California had its you know, little close call there of losing our power, I just walked to the thermostat and went... <laughs> and I just said, well, I can go three days being a little warmer than I want to be. Uh, I can do my dishes at night instead of during the peak period, which I did, you know, the dishwasher. So it wasn't that hard. It really wasn't that hard. So here's the good news. Europe is going to make it. Here's the better news. Putin has not only destroyed his military, but his entire economy. Because I'll tell you what Europe's not going to do. Buy his fucking gas any time in the future. Now, of course, money is money, and people will do whatever is the cheapest, so maybe it could come back. But they're not going to bet Europe on it again. I don't think Europe's going to say, well, let's take a chance on Putin again. He's done. He doesn't have a business or a military when he's done. Nobody's going to fear the Soviet military. Soviet. Nobody's going to fear the Russian military after Ukraine kicks its ass. What are you saying about Louder with Crowder? I'm seeing a lot of people mention Crowder, but I don't know why. Now, here's another thing. The gas of futures. So if you're not a finance person, here's what this means. There are people who have contracts to buy or sell uh, lots of different commodities, including gas, sometime in the future at a certain price. So you can predict what all the smart people think is going to happen by how they're pricing things in the future. So if all the people who know the most about the energy situation are saying that uh, when I sell you gas in the future, I'm not going to charge you much, what are they telling you? If they tell you a year from now, I'm not going to charge you much for gas and I'm willing to sign that deal, it means they know the situation is handled. Otherwise, they'd say there's so much risk about next year I'm going to have to charge you more next year than even this year. But the futures prices of gas are already back to normal. 
I, I need a fact check on that. I saw that from one source. Can you give me a fact check on that? I believe gas futures for Europe are, are close to back to normal for the futures. Not the stuff we're buying this year. We're not talking about this winter. This winter is going to be off the chart expensive. Super expensive. I'm talking about a year or two. All right. But anyway, what, whatever, whatever the actual number is, the gas futures are much lower than now. What matters is that they're lower. All right. How low is a little less important than the fact that the direction is clearly lower. So, um, yeah, the current prices are through the roof, but they can get through three months at the current prices. They can do that. Yeah. All right. So um, it's a good time to uh, it's a good time to be bullish on America. So I made a point yesterday that I didn't realize was such a good point, but some uh, I was uh, Joe Moore and some people mentioned I should reiterate it. It goes like this, and I'll say it in a, a better way. If you have an election, and let's say it's a landslide then I would say that what mattered was the candidates and the will of the people, right? So that's my baseline statement before I make my provocative statement. If it's a landslide, then it's all about the candidate and it's about the will of the people. But suppose the election's close. Barely, somebody barely won. Here's, here's my opinion. In my opinion, that's not about the candidate and it's not about the people, because it's so close. It means that the, the country was sort of, you know, coin flip. It's about moving on. When the election is close, the result of the election is not about the candidate, and not about the policies, and not about the people. It's about moving on. It's about getting past it. We have a system that lets us move on, and you don't know how valuable that is. Right? Because even with all the January 6th stuff, we still moved on. And I've never really fully explained that that's why I congratulated Biden immediately. As soon as the results were sort of the official results, I heard everything you heard. I heard all the questions about the integrity of the election. And honestly, I thought they were going to find something. I, I honestly thought they'd find something. But it didn't matter. No matter whether they found something or not, the system needed to go forward. And so I voted for the system. I didn't, I didn't endorse the winner. I did not endorse the credibility of the election. I endorsed a system that has served us really well. And the system is, we just have a way to move on. Sometimes you just need to move on. And, and that's what the system did for us. It worked. It worked. <laughs> it gave you exactly what you wanted. The system needed to let you move on when you couldn't decide who really won. And it, it did. It gave us a president. And we functioned as a country. Now, we don't like the way it turned out. Many of us don't. And we'll get another chance to fix that. And if it's close again, and let's say Trump wins, hypothetically. If it's close again... The, the Democrats are going to yell that it's all rigged and it was voter suppression. And what am I going to say? Congratulations to the new president. 
Either way it goes. Because if it's close again, again, I'm going to vote for the system. I'm going to vote for getting past it. Because that's the thing that's more important. Right? So keep an eye on what's more important. Moving forward is more important. Um, within reason. I mean, you could imagine if it's actually Hitler, then that's different. All right. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I know this is amazing, but I feel like today's live stream was almost as good as yesterday, and yesterday's was possibly one of the best ever. So I don't know how we keep doing it. How do we keep doing this? I would like to also... Um, Thank you, Cassandra. I would also like to remind you that what we're doing here is more important than it feels like in any minute. Because we, we have literally created a form of intelligence that I think is going to be powerful enough, at least by 2024, that we would need to be reckoned with. And when I say we're a, a, a collaborative intelligence, you know, collectively as, as we work here, um, I want to be really careful in telling you that if I had, let's say I had an idea that was just really obnoxious to most of you, I probably would suppress it. And I should. Because if we're we're acting collaboratively, you act as a um, kind of a, a check on my worst impulses. And then I hope I can act as a check on your worst impulses. And then that will make us stronger collectively. Um, so I'm not, I feel like we need some kind of a, a name for this or a brand, but I'd like to get to the point where we could move issues. Would you, would you like to do that? Would you like to move beyond, this is just you know an hour or so of listening to somebody talk, would you like to move beyond that and actually have some political clout? Because I think we could do that. And, and the reason I say that is um, you saw what Elon Musk did with the, his Ukraine peace plan, which got crapped all over. The thing he did that, that I think is most important is he realized there was no, there was no positive asserted plan. So he, he just gave you one. <laughs> and I feel like there are, enough, there are enough topics where the plan that could work is not even being discussed. So maybe we could be a source of useful ideas. Maybe. Which is also why I suspect maybe the, my locals group here, or, or maybe the larger group listen to this, that's why I think we should build some kind of a central document of the best arguments. The trouble is, who would you trust to you know, maintain it and keep it up? And I don't, I don't know if we could satisfy that. But um, we're going to try to do that. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, was this the finest thing that's ever experienced? Yeah, of course it was. And we're going to talk to you tomorrow. And uh, I'll, I'll give you updates about my, uh, let's say, my getting canceled situation. There's something brewing that's bad for me. Um, survivable. But it's not about social media. So nothing, nothing about social media. Nothing about the law. <laughs> I'm not in any legal trouble. I'm not being sued. 
It's just going to be expensive. That's all. All right. Um, and that's all for now. I'll talk to you later, YouTube. <laughs>